Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, help us by your Spirit to love you more deeply, to love what you command. Father, help us to strive towards holiness, not out of our own self-righteousness, but out of what you have done for us in your Son and are doing to us and for us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I'll be preaching from Romans, mostly from Romans chapter 7. So I invite you uh, to get your Bible out or your pew Bible out and turn to page 943. Page 943, Romans uh, chapter 7. And we'll even end a little bit in Romans chapter 8. Sometimes our lectionary divides things up um, in uh, not the greatest of ways. So we'll also be in Romans 8 as well. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to those texts. Several months ago, um, I was talking with a dear friend of mine, a Christian, who said that um, he had been struggling with a certain and particular sin uh, for some time. And the sin had gotten the better of him, that he had fallen into temptation. And it was a sin that he felt like um, God was giving him slowly some victory over, but he fell back into that sin, as we often can do, even as uh, regenerate Christians. And he told me that he went to a, um, a dear friend who was a believer. And um, the, the man telling me this story uh, said that uh, this had happened a couple years ago, that he had went to the friend and he had said, look, let me be frank with you. I want to be open and honest about my life. Here's the sin that I just can't have victory over right now, at least for, a long, uh, for the long term, for the long haul. And he said he was... Um, he was nervous. He was uh, um, a bit uh, moved into that meeting with a bit of fear and trepidation because, of course, being open and honest about one's sin is difficult. But he went to the friend, and the friend um, proceeded to tell him something like this, and I'm paraphrasing. Maybe you have heard this before. Maybe you've been the one saying this before. I got it. Yeah, you're sinful. I'm sinful too, but just do better. Just do better. Can't you do better? Can't you do better? Just, just do it. Like that old Saturday Night Live skit from the 19, early 1990s where the person has the, the issues and they sit across from the counselor who says, okay, yeah, that's fine. Just stop it. Stop it. Do you remember, you remember this skit? Just stop it. Well, this is what the Christian brother was telling this man. Just get over it. Stop it. Just quit sinning. Well, the person telling me this story said, He was devastated, devastated because the reason that he was going to the friend to confess sin was, was, what do you think the reason was? He couldn't what? He couldn't stop it. He couldn't stop it. Now, the Christian friend was was wanting that the, you know, the person that I'm telling the story about to stop sinning, and that's a good thing and a wonderful thing. But beloved, you see that we, like St. Paul in chapter 7, We as believers know what's right. 
And so much of our life is spent knowing what's right and wanting to do what's right, but not actually being able to do it. What the person in that situation needed was not to be told to just get better on their own. They needed to be reminded of the gospel message. They needed to be reminded that God has obliterated their sin through Jesus Christ. And when we live into the Holy Spirit and according to the Spirit, life is given and victory will often come to us. What would Paul have said to this man, to this Christian man? Would he have said, just get over it? Just do better? You see, I don't think he would have said that at all, and I'll make the, the point and the connection later on in the sermon. I think he would have said what he says at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. But in Romans 7, we see what the issue is. But let me begin by saying there are three types of Christians, I think. And you should always be wary when someone generalizes like that, by the way. <laughs> there are only ever three types of Christians. But let me say this. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm not talking about the unregenerate that don't care about God or his things. I'm talking about those who have confessed Jesus of Lord, as Lord, who have, who have entered into the waters of baptism. I'm talking about Christians. There are three types. There are, as John Stott calls them, the Old Testament Christians. This was the person giving the advice in the story I gave. The self-righteous Christian, we might call them. So the self-righteous Christian believes that uh, the law of God is our religion. They believe that the Christian faith is, in fact, just the law of God. So do better, get better, start following the law. They see that the flesh, that is the way that we live in the world, the way that we act, our actions, are more important than what the Holy Spirit is doing in the inner man or inner woman. They're a bit like Lazarus. Do you remember when Lazarus, um, by the word of God, was resurrected from the dead? He comes out of the tomb, and what does he still have on him? He's got the burial clothes on him. He hasn't, he hasn't shedded that yet. The self-righteous Christian, or the quote-unquote Old Testament Christian, we might say, as John Stott uses that term ironically, is like Lazarus. They are regenerate but they're going to try to get the things off themselves, not relying on the Spirit. Well, here's the second type of Christian. The first is the self-righteous. The second is the antinomian Christian. Antinomian is basically a fancy word that says it means against the law. They think that the law of God is in and of itself bad, and it's the problem. You see, this God is just a divine lawgiver, and he keeps giving us all these laws so get over it. Don't, don't follow the law. The law only kills and only destroys. The antinomian is against the law. They're very, they're very happy to talk about the grace of God, but they don't talk about the obedience to God. Holiness for the antinomian Christian is an afterthought. It's an afterthought. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, who cares? But then finally, we're going to see, as we move through Romans 7 into Romans 8, that, beloved, what we're trying to become are the Christians that are freed by the power of the Spirit to love what God loves, to obey what God has commanded. 
St. Augustine uh, wrote on his commentary on Romans 7 this, and I think it's really helpful for us to understand this. Augustine says that some of us as Christians follow the law of God, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, not committing adultery, not lying, kind of all these moral commands that are a part of the law of God. We follow them because we're scared of God and the consequences of sin. We're only doing it because we're fearful. That's the only reason. Now, of course, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We know that. But Augustine is making the point to say this. If we only obey the law of God as believers because we're scared of God and because we're scared of the punishments and the consequences of sin, Augustine said that if God told you in a moment in time, look, you can commit sins X, Y, and Z, and I actually, there won't be a consequence, would you do it? And presumably that person would say what? Well, yeah, like, okay, if, God, if you're going to take away the consequence, then... All right, we're Vegas bound here in about, you know, 15 minutes or whatever it might be. But Augustine says, okay, that's fine. To fear God, to fear the consequences of sin is a good entry point into obeying God. That's not, we don't want to throw that away. But Augustine says what God wants to do by the power of the Holy Spirit is to make you love what God loves. So then you don't commit adultery. Why? Because you love your spouse as God has commanded you to love your spouse. And you would never think then, again, of acting on that lustful thought. That you can see a a handsome man or a gorgeous woman and behold their beauty as God beholds their beauty, not as something to be objectified for yourself. To love what God loves. We don't run into the problem of coveting. Why? Because when when I see that Josiah has something that, that I think is a wonderful, good, and nice, shiny toy, as it were, whatever it might be, I can be grateful that God has given it to him, and I love that fact, and I don't want to take it for myself. You see, there's a movement to love God and to love what he loves, and beloved, that only happens by living according to the Spirit. Let me go back to the three people before we get into the text, which is so important. You see, the self-righteous Christian, that first one I talked about, that Old Testament Christian that John Stott, um, I love that phrase that he uses. What happens for the self-righteous Christian is either one of two paths, and maybe you've been here before, maybe you are the self-righteous Christian. What ends up happening is either you become an arrogant believer because you have a victory here and there over sin, and then what you do is then you start telling people, well, look, just, just get up on your own account and do what I'm doing. See, don't sin. And what do you give them? You give them the law only. You become prideful. You, you begin to see your need for God less and less and less, and you become blinded. Or you live as a self-righteous believer for a while, and then you begin to despair. Because as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, we cannot keep that law on our own because of sin. We can't do it. And then you despair. Where's the hope? Where's the good news? I can't actually do this. For the antinomian Christian, 
The end is that holiness is something that doesn't really matter, that we're not about as believers. We're only about receiving grace and not being turned to love God and to love the things of God by the power of the Spirit. And we just sit in our chair and we live out our existence in grace, that cheap grace that Bonhoeffer talks about that is destroying Christians. But there's a better way, the freed Christian. Let us turn to Romans chapter 7. I want us to skip up to verse 4, and I need, I need kind of all eyes on this text. Even though this wasn't from our reading, I, I could just read this section and then say amen, because here's the point. The point of the law, the point of the Christian life, the point of the Holy Spirit. Here it is, Romans 7, 4. Paul says this, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. What is the path to holiness? What is the path to having ordered loves as we prayed in our collect this morning? What is that path? It's the gospel. It's having been transferred from sin to the body of Christ himself, to have his life be our life, That is how we bear fruit. Verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Beloved, the good news for us this morning, for each of you, is that in Jesus Christ we have been released from keeping the law, something we cannot do. We can't do it. You and I know that. Paul knew that. He writes about it later on in Romans 7. He wants to do it, but he can't do it. We've been released from that, and we've been bound to Jesus Christ. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we then can produce fruit. Parenting is very difficult. Amen? I want my children, I want my children to love what I command of them, not because they are fearful of me and scared of what the consequence might be. That might be a good starter. (laughs) But the end game for my children is for them to love what I command because they love me and know my love for them. That they are secure in my love and to be able to live out of that. It's the same for us as believers. In the first part of our reading from this morning, Romans 7, 7 through 12, Paul says some really interesting things that I think should help us in our day-to-day walk as believers. He says, verse 7, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? That antinomian kind of situation here where the law is bad in and of itself? By no means, Paul says. Yet if it had not had been for the law, I would have not known sin. Sin is good for us, or law, excuse me, the law is good for us because it shows us where we have sinned against God. Paul goes on to say, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. 
But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Beloved, when we're faced, when we read what God has asked us to do in terms of following Him, we meet our own sin because we realize we can't actually do these things in our own power. The law reveals that sin to us. Paul says, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Have you ever felt that as a believer, that the commandment that you just can't follow becomes the thing that produces kind of death within you? Have have you felt that before? Yeah. That's because we too often try to walk according to the letter of the law and not by the Spirit of God, which allows us over time to love what God has commanded Paul goes on, skip down to verse 12, says this, These words that we should all believe and take heed of. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Beloved, the laws of God are good and they're righteous. They're holy. They're for us. But they are incapable in and of themselves of saving you and me. They're incapable of doing it. Because we have sin. So then we know Jesus Christ came, as Paul says in Romans 10, that by his life and death, we were liberated from the law, grafted in to him, and given the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to take a moment to comment on our Exodus 19 passage as we continue here in Romans 7. We read, or Callie read, excuse me, Exodus 20. Callie read Exodus 20 so well, the Ten Commandments. Part of me thought about having us read Exodus 19 also because we need the context. God says to Moses and to the people before he gives any commandment, well, what what does he say to them? I'm the Lord your God who's done what for you? hear a lot of murmuring. I know my people well. Y'all know this. What does he say to them before, before any of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, that is the Ten Words of God are given, or the other commandments, what does he say to them? I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I first loved you. I called you. I elected you. Tony Darasso, I elected you, God says. Jennifer Novotny, I called you and have elected you. Riley Cross, I called you. I elected you. Now go and obey my commands. But here's the beautiful thing. As Deacon, as Father Zach preached on a few Sundays ago, that God does not um, demand things of us before he gives what he has demanded and commanded of us. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to have our loves rightly ordered. The law is not bad. The law is good because it comes from a good God, but we cannot save ourselves. The Spirit works within us to turn our affections towards Him. When we think about the new heaven and the new earth, we often think about seeing our relatives, seeing the communion of saints, seeing God face to face, and those are so um, important and wonderful hopes in the future for all of us as believers. But one thing I'm looking forward to, and I think Paul would say the same, is that I'm no longer going to know what God wants and want to do it and not be able to do it. (laughs) That struggle, you're going to be freed from that struggle. 
Because when we enter the new heaven and the new earth and we see God face to face, we're going to love him fully, we're going to feel his love of us fully, and we're going to love everything that he has ever said or commanded in perfect harmony. What a day. But we're not there yet. Let us skip down to a few more verses here in Romans 7. Verse 14. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. We, as Christians, are living in a time, in this tension, the already not yet, where we're still moving back and forth between sinful flesh, sinful desires, and the gifts and the desires of the Holy Spirit that allow us to love what God wants. There's a tension there. I mean, could you imagine St. Paul writing as a persecutor of the church. I mean, the sins that he has committed, the struggle that he feels within his own life, within his own discipleship of Jesus Christ who came to him. He feels it intensely. I know that we do as well. But the salvation that we have is not by obeying the law out of fear of punishment. It's about trusting that Jesus Christ has accomplished that once and for all for us and by living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, Romans 7, at the end, 24, Paul utters these words. I think we've all probably uttered this in times of despair. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is the answer. There is the basis of our Christian life of discipleship. But beloved, Paul doesn't end with Romans 7. He moves into Romans 8. I'm not going to comment on all this, but I I want to read two verses to you. Because Paul has said, there's a struggle within me, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that I do have a freedom And then finally he's going to say in Romans 8 that it's by the Spirit of God that I can love the things of God. Romans 8, 1. Let me read this to you almost as a prayer over you. Please hear this this morning. Some of you I know are struggling with the law and with your own sinfulness during Lent especially. Don't be moved to despair. Don't be moved to self-righteousness. Hear these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, 
are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Beloved, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He dwells in you. And if you will let Him, if you will cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit, you will begin slowly but surely to love the things of God more deeply. You will begin to obey our Lord. Not perfectly, no. But you will begin in small ways to obey Him where sin and the flesh used to dwell, used to take you off the course. And you're going to obey our Lord because the Spirit has allowed you to love Him and to love the things that He has commanded. You see, in closing, my dear brothers and sisters, when the Holy Spirit helps us to kill the sin in our life, to kill the flesh in our life, He's not just killing the flesh so that we might fear God more and more and see the punishment and the consequences. No, as we're killing sin and death by the Spirit, He's allowing us to increase in the love of Him, in the love of our neighbor, in delighting, as Paul says, in His commandments. Abide in Jesus, the true vine. Abide in the one who says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Beloved, walk in the Spirit of God. And what does that look like? It looks like the things we talk about so often, maybe too often as Christians, but that never fully take home. This is not a law for you to live into and to judge yourself by. It's just a three points of obedience about walking in the Spirit. First is to pray individually and pray with other believers. To pray that you would delight in the law of God. To pray with one another, for one another, that the Holy Spirit would begin to turn your affections to the one who loved you first. And number two, don't get your commands in this life and don't get your self-help in this life from anywhere other than this thing right here the Holy Word of God. Read it. Meditate on it. Because I guarantee you that when you read it and meditate on it, you're going to see that all the saints throughout Scripture were also sinners. They were also sinners, and God was doing a work in them just like He's doing a work in you. And then, of course, through reading of the Gospels, you'll see the price that our Lord paid for us to have holy communion with Him now and forever. And then finally, let me say this. Beloved, the Lord is calling you not to give advice to one another as Christians, just to get up off your feet, do what's right, can't you? We're not called to give the law because sin is crouching within us all. We don't give the law, we give the gospel of grace. And we pray then that our affections will be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to live in obedience to the God who loves us. Beloved, I want to close now with our prayer. I want to pray the collect again for today. Influenced here by St. Paul and by St. Augustine. Beloved, would you hear now this prayer again as I close this morning? Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants and purify our disordered affections that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.